0: It was definitely very difficult because I'm having these geniuses work on my case and they still can't figure it out and then they tried different things from chemotherapy to herbs to everything that you can think of trying to treat this because they didn't know exactly what it is and to this day they don't fully know what to call what I have.
1: Hi everyone, so that was a little preview into my conversation with my friend Christina Mallon and I'll give you a little bit more background. So Christina and I are the same age, she's 29 and I'm 30. We grew up in the same area right outside of Philadelphia so our social circles overlapped a lot in high school and college. I always remember her being so sweet and welcoming. Christina started losing feeling in her hands and arms around eight years ago, right after graduating college. She's now completely paralyzed in her hands and arms. She has seen over 400 doctors around the world, but no one can quite figure out what caused Christina to lose complete feeling in her arms and hands. But that has not stopped her from living her best life in New York City. She works full time, has become a spokesperson for people with disabilities, and on the side is super involved with a really cool nonprofit called Open Style Labs where they design clothing for people with disabilities. They've also gained national recognition. They've been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CNN, ABC News, and many other platforms. As always, we get real in this conversation. We talk all about the disability, how she's adapted her daily life with no use of arms and hands, what dating is like with a disability, the frustrations and setbacks she's experienced, how she continues to stay positive, and so much more. I really love my conversation with Christina, and I hope you guys do too. Thanks. So, welcome, Christina, to High Five Success Stories. So happy to have you here. Yeah,
0: it's a wonderful experience.
1: That's so great. Anyway, so one topic I discuss a lot in my podcast is overcoming adversity. So we tend to get really deep and real into issues, but it's also a lot of fun. So, Christina, like I told you when we talked on the phone the other day, I've interviewed a handful of people who have experienced really difficult life events such as people that have lost loved ones. We talked about Eddie DiDonato, who was shot six times. And my most recent one was with um, Lauren dudley Stevens. She had uh, dealt with the frustrations of infertility. And I love interviewing people who have been through hardship because I think they can be real models for other people going through similar hardships. So that being said... I'm super excited um, that I reached out to you and we reconnected and that you're here today because I know you will be such a wonderful model for other young women and men that are living with a disability day in and day out. So anyhow, I thought we'd start out by having you provide us with a little bit of background on life prior to the disability. So, you know, where you grew up, about your family and went to school.
0: Sure. So uh, I... uh grew up in Springfield, which mm-hmm. uh, is a great, quaint town in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I went to Marion Mercy, which is a wonderful all-girls school uh, on the main line of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then I went to St. Joe's University, which is down the street from my high school. So I stayed very local. And then right after um, I graduated St. Joe's, I moved to New York to start working uh, a brand new strategy for CoverGirl Cosmetics, which is owned by Procter & Gamble. Okay. It was definitely a dream job at that time, as I loved cosmetics, and I also loved working with celebrities to be spokespeople, so it was a really wonderful, joyous moment to get this job in New York.
1: Did you always know that you wanted to um, sort of go into the fashion end of things?
0: Yeah, I knew that I wanted to be in fashion and beauty. Uh, I think that as a child, I wasn't the one that was playing soccer. Right. And I wasn't the one that uh, was out there, you know, running around. I was more the creative type. Okay. So being in fact, the beauty felt like a perfect fit for my desires and passions.
1: That's awesome. And Christina, how many siblings do you have, too?
0: I have one sibling uh, okay. in Philadelphia. Uh, he's a boy. He went to St. Joe's Prep, so... We have a very close relationship and I'm the godmother for his child. So I really enjoy that.
1: That's awesome. I love it. Um, and did you always know you wanted to go to New York or did you think about staying in Philly? Like how did the opportunity come up in New York?
0: The opportunity uh, came up as I really wanted to work for a large cosmetic brand. Okay. And that opportunity uh, was in New York or in LA. Uh, and other large cities throughout the United States. And New York made the most sense because it was the closest to my family, but also I had many friends that
1: lived in New York, too. Okay, got it. And just so the listeners know, Christina and I went to high school right down the street from one another. I went to Notre Dame, yeah. which is right down the street. And then I went to Penn, which is right down the street from St. Joe's. So we had a lot of overlap over those years, which is always fun. Um, but anyways, so I thought we'd then talk about um, – if you'd be so kind to tell us a story of when you started losing feeling in your hands and arms. Because I think when we talked to Money, you said it was right after graduation when you graduated from St. Joe's. Is that correct?
0: Yes, it was. Hi. So when I first started my dream job at CoverGirl, I noticed that I couldn't type as well. And I thought, you know, maybe I was working too hard and, I, and I'm getting, you know, uh, sometimes maybe MS or. Uh, different things. So I went Mm -hmm. to the doctor and he told me that I needed to go see a neurologist because something was wrong. Okay. That day I went to a neurologist and they told me I needed to call my parents to come up from Philadelphia, which always is scary when you have to bring in the reinforcements. Right. Uh, He identified uh, via testing that there was some nerve damage done And that I need to go to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota to see a world-renowned neurologist. So, so during that time... Christina,
1: how many months months after this was um, from when you graduated? Because you graduated in May. It was
0: one month after.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So, it was quick.
0: Yeah. So, I was living alone in the big city by Mm -hmm. myself and dealing with, you know, this unknown disease that uh, was causing motor neuron damage in my fingers, so it was definitely very scary.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, as time went on I went to different doctors, and they really couldn't figure out the cause of this problem, so I've probably seen over 400 doctors and nurses wow. through the eight years throughout the world. Um, i been in the human genome project i've had google trying to figure out using their algorithms mm-hmm. what's wrong i was in the nih undiagnosed disease program and they can still figure it out so it's definitely very difficult because i'm having these geniuses work on my case and they still can't figure it out and then they tried different things from chemotherapy to herbs to everything that you can think of trying to treat this because they didn't know exactly what it's it is and to this day they don't fully know what to call what I have
1: so why did you go on chemotherapy that's crazy
0: yeah so um, I went on low dosages of chemotherapy it's called IVIG okay. for two years so yeah. every weekend um, I would get eight hours of blood transfusions um, so th- it was quite an interesting experience
1: how old were you at this point when this was going on
0: I was it was from 24 to 26 Okay. Um, the two years where I got weekly chemotherapy. Um but you know it was it was super interesting time for me as we were really desperate to try anything. Right. But eventually they realized as my arms became um, more and more paralyzed, uh they realized it wasn't working and uh discontinued my treatment.
1: So were you getting all like the symptoms of chemotherapy too on the side?
0: Um, I was getting nausea okay. uh, and things like that, but I didn't uh, lose my hair, uh, fortunately, uh, because the dosages were so low, and I was getting them uh, over an eight-hour period.
1: Okay. And then, quick question too. So, it's so was it like you woke up one morning and you started losing feeling, or was it sort of gradual? That it was gradual.
0: Okay. Um, as I went on. I, I wasn't able to move different fingers. Okay. And then. It, slowly got worse and worse over eight years and mm-hmm. it's remained in my arms and shoulders it hasn't gone to my legs okay. uh, in some cases that I've seen with other people it goes to their legs mm-hmm. but uh they're pretty sure that that won't happen which is a very reassuring feeling oh good
1: yeah because when we yeah. talked on uh, the other day you said that at one point they said it might be a rare form of ALS called flailing, flailing sorry flailing arm disease um, so when anyone hears the word ALS, that's daunting. Um, can you yeah. tell us a story of when you received that news? Cause that must've been super hard. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I received, um, the news, uh, gosh, three years ago from okay. my doctor who became like a pseudo father for me. And when he had to tell me he thought it was that he started to cry. And this is a very famous neurologist, um, who sees patients die all the time. And I have, you know, one of the least extreme cases, and he started to cry when he told me because he was just really hoping it wasn't that. But given that I have the flail alarm version, uh, that usually has a good prognosis and doesn't grow within your legs or your brain.
1: Oh, good. Um, I know you're really encouraging me and inspiring me to look at every day as a gift, and not sweat the small stuff, which is good. Um, and then I wanted to ask you too, at what point did you you become completely paralyzed in your, um, in your hands and arms?
0: Sure. So I became paralyzed fully about two years ago. And the great thing is that due to technology and the support of family and friends, I've still been able to live alone, uh, and I'm able to dress myself, feed myself, uh, do my makeup with my feet. I, have created different clothing, um. That is adjustable so that I can use different things in my house to help me dress. Okay. So that's been really helpful that I can remain in the same lifestyle that I had before I was disabled. Okay. uh, And be able to fully participate
1: in life. I love that. Um, And then one topic I talk about a lot in my podcast, and we'll get to your your routine too, because I definitely want to hear more about that. But um, I always talk about setbacks and failures. So were there any times during those eight years, because it must have been you know, an emotional roller coaster, um, were there any really big setbacks that you remember that really kind of stuck out and sort of how you overcame them?
0: Sure. So there was two big setbacks that were very hard for me during this journey of disability. The first was not being able to text, and okay. I lost the use of my fingers. and you know, texting is such a large part of how humans communicate. Mm -hmm. I wanted to still be able to communicate with my friends. So I created this cell phone case that I'm able to pull on that drops the phone to my feet.
1: I saw a video of that. It was really cool. Yeah, It's
0: it's really great because, you know, there's a lot of people with uh, motor neuron problems in their hands. So this cell phone case that I created allows for that. And then I also with my partner, Grace June Torment Style, i created mm-hmm. socks that have uh, uh, electro uh, threads. So okay. it's able to pick up uh, motion and I'm able to wear socks uh, while I'm texting. So when it's called out, I don't have to without a bare foot to text.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so texting was, you know, a setback, but you were able to overcome that, which is awesome. Were there any other big setbacks that yeah. stick out?
0: I think, you know, as we were getting older, I'm 29 years old, almost 30, which is which is very young. But a lot of the times at that age, you start to thinking about kids. Yeah. And, you know, I I really got discouraged about the fact that I won't be able to hold my child. Um, so I would get very sad when I saw other people with kids or mm-hmm. I couldn't interact with my friend's kids and hold them mm-hmm. because it's so important for a woman to be able to hold their child. right? But what I did was I actually met with one of a leading child bonding therapists okay. who was able to teach me that really the most important part of your child's growth is for them to have positive sounds around them and see smiling faces. Oh, wow. So yes, I might not be able to physically hold my child, mm-hmm. but I'll be able to give them positive feedback by my face, by smiling, and having a good tone. And that's where a lot of child development uh, is influenced by. So that was very, very helpful to learn that I can still have a great impact in my child's life, even though I physically can't hold them.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and speaking of children, um, I'd love to talk about dating, because obviously, when you're your 20s, you probably still have a lot of friends that are single. Um, I'm still single, but um, the dating scene can be really hard, and having a disability must make it even harder. So can you talk about that at all and sort of what advice you would give to anyone that's dating that might have a disability and then also maybe go into your relationship now?
0: Yeah, definitely. So it is very difficult no matter if you're fully able-bodied to dating these days, especially given that a lot of dating happens via apps.
1: Right.
0: Um, I think that the media shows disability in a negative light, that someone who's disabled is either poor not good looking, not sexy, and not fun, If they're more of a charity case it's sad. the media needs to show users and people with disabilities that you can be a vibrant, sexy, smart person and successful with a disability. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it makes dating really hard for people with disabilities, is because of what everyone has seen in the media for people with disabilities. So... I think that that's what makes it really hard. A way to combat that is to really show people on your date that you being disabled is just a part of who you are. Mm -hmm. You are not defined by your disability and that you have so much to offer. And if you can be upfront and authentic with your person that you're having a date with, that you have so much to offer and that the disability won't ruin the situation. I think that's the best way. That's how I have managed it. And at the end of the day, the person I was dating didn't care as much about the disability as much as I thought they would.
1: Oh, good. And uh, how long have you been dating your boyfriend now? Jamie, right? his name. Uh, I've been dating Jamie for five years. Okay. Wow. Um, And the other thing I was going to ask too um, is because you talked about, you know, having disability and, and dating and kind of being up front with everyone is how did other people react around you, like friends and family and strangers, too? Because I think a lot of times people don't know what to say or do, um, and they treat it like the elephant in the room. So what has that experience been like for you? It's
0: definitely been challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh but let's say I was going to a dinner party where I only knew one person. Okay. I had that person tell before I went there to the dinner party everyone that I, you know, don't have the use of my arms, um, and things like that because I want them to feel comfortable. And sometimes when they see me feeding myself with my feet or right. opening things with my mouth, they get a little confused and it puts a distance between that person and myself. Right. So when they ahead of time. They are ready emotionally to handle it, and I feel like that's the best way I've been able to manage it with okay. new people uh-huh. is to have someone let them know ahead of time that I have a disability, just so that you know it's not awkward. And then when it comes to my family and friends, um, I think it's been really interesting because everybody wants to help, right? And they're figuring out where they can help, where and still let me be an adult, and that's been a challenge. But at the end of the day, I just remind myself that everyone has positive, uh, a positive effect and they they want to really help me. So, you know, I just have a lot of gratitude for it. And if they mess up and, you know, it's fine.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And um, like when people are talking to you that that just meet you, um, do they usually address it and ask you, you know, what it's like or do people usually avoid it? Like, how would you encourage someone to act if they, you know, see you at a dinner party?
0: I would like them just to ask, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Okay. Instead of ignoring it. Right. Um, I think, you know, I get very shy and mm-hmm. when I ask for help a lot of the times. And if someone knows I'm struggling and they come right out, it just makes things easier.
1: Right. For sure. Um. And then I'd love to talk about your daily routine too. So, you know, one book I bring up a lot in my podcast interviews is, um, Angela Duckworth and she's from Philly. Um, and she wrote the New York Times bestseller grit, the power of passion and perseverance. And she talks a lot about the different meanings of, you know, what grit means. And, you know, obviously after talking to you the other day and today, um, you have a tremendous amount of grit. So, I'd love to know sort of, you know, what the word means to you and how you sort of apply grit to your everyday life.
0: Definitely. I think this is uh, a really big power word. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think how I see it is every single day I'm hacking things and I'm constantly getting challenges and trying Mm -hmm. to fix them. And I think it helps me get through the day to day, uh, being able to practice and it shows what success is, is that you have a lot of grit. Right. It's not that you have a huge bank account or amazing house or a beautiful husband. Mm-hmm. It's how you've been able to take these challenges and really get on top of them and make sure that you can still live your life. Yeah. And that's how um, grit means to me, is being able to take the lemons and make lemonade out of
1: them. Right. And um, I mentioned to you this the other day when we talked, but I interviewed um, a blind woman this past fall, and she says she often sees her disability as a gift because whenever she has to deal with failures or setbacks, she's able to you know, bounce back quickly because she's, she's already wired to navigate challenging situations. Um, so can you relate to that at all as well?
0: Yes. I think that uh, when I compare some of the same problems my friends have, mm-hmm. to, uh, the problems that I've run into... I feel as though they are less of a big deal to me than they okay. are to them. Right. Because i am challenges every single day. Right. Uh, while everyone's problem feels big to them, some of those problems feel a little less big because of the problems that I have now.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so can you sort of walk us through your daily routine? Because obviously, you know, not having use of your arms or hands, um, you know, we use your arms and hands for everything. So how have you found little, like, nicks and necks Like, can you walk us through from when you wake up and then go to work um, and then, you know, all throughout the day?
0: Sure. So not being able to have arms uh, adds that adds, you need extra time to your schedule. So I wake up at 5.30 okay. and it takes me about... Uh, an hour and a half two hours to fully get ready on my own mm-hmm. i uh I use my feet to brush my teeth brush my hair uh put makeup on uh i have a uh device that uh we made uh using little things at home depot to help me dress so i use multiple hooks okay. and I totally like systems to help me dress and put uh, my clothes on, okay. and then I have my microwave and some of my food on the lower level uh, of my kitchen, so that I can, uh, with my feet, you know, pour cereal, grab drinks, and I do all of that. And then I walk to work since I'm very close to my office. Mm-hmm. And then when I get into work, I use a system called Dragon, which is what Siri is based off of. Okay. And I talk to my computer, and that's how I send emails.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Very cool. And then I'm
0: I'm sending emails constantly throughout the day. And then at night, I go home. I order some food uh, from Seamless, and I have a robot called an Uh Obi, which is a bowl hooked onto a mechanical arm with a spoon that I control with my feet, and that feeds me. And uh-huh. while I'm doing that, I'm usually answering a lot of calls, having a lot of meetings for the nonprofit that I'm on the board of called okay. Open Style Lab. Okay. Uh, so I, I keep very busy, but definitely not having use of my arm slows things down. Right. So I have to wake up pretty early and go to bed pretty late to accomplish all the things I want for that day. Yeah.
1: That's amazing, though. So you've really, you know, continued to live a normal life. I think if a lot of people got diagnosed or, you know, lost. Um, became paralyzed in their hands and arms, they might, you know, move home to Philadelphia. Did that ever cross your mind or you just wanted to continue to completely live your life in New York?
0: Yeah, so I I never considered moving home just because my life is here now and that my parents uh, can easily travel to New York. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, this is where my friends are, this is where I'm happy and let's stay here. And that's kind of the angle that my parents had on the situation they Mm -hmm. did anything that they could to make sure I could stay in New York as they know that brought me so much happiness
1: yeah I love that that you continue to just you know find knacks to um you know overcome the the battles of not having your hands or arms I think it's really cool what you've done um and obviously you're a positive person based on my research and um you know from uh, from other people I've heard too So how do you work to stay positive every day? Like, are there moments where you do still get really frustrated? And, you know, do you have any, like, self-talk tactics you can offer to the listeners?
0: Definitely. There are so many moments where I get frustrated, where my friends show up late and don't tell me they switched, you know, the restaurant, but I can't communicate with them. Yeah. So little, little things like that. But then I look around and see this amazing kind of world that I live in and I just count my blessings and have a lot of gratitude and that usually cheers me back up. I also practice Vedic meditation, uh, which helps Mm -hmm. uh, a lot. What's it called? called, What's it called? Vedic meditation. It's just a form of meditation that um, you can do at home and uh, you just practice a mantra and say it over and over again and then it kind of grounds you. But that's been definitely helpful.
1: Okay. I actually just listened to a podcast last night and He said, it was about um, some successful guy, and he was saying that what's made him a a much better person, he started meditating like five years ago, and he does it every morning, and I still have to get into meditation, but how long have you been doing meditation for, just out of curiosity? I've
0: been meditating for about a year, and you know, it is super difficult, but once you get into a routine, you realize that you feel much better doing it every day.
1: Yeah, I feel like right now I do this like cop-out um, meditation. I, so like when I'm getting ready for work or I'm in the shower, I'll think about three things I'm super grateful for and then three things I want to thrive in that day. So that sort of like helps me set up for the day, but it also only takes like three minutes. So I'm like, this is such a cop-out. I need to actually like sit down and like get into meditation. So um, after I listened to that podcast last night and hearing that you do it, I definitely want to, um, you know, get back into like the Headspace app or something.
0: Yeah, definitely. Just try it out. But any type of meditation is good meditation. So yeah. I think that's the first step.
1: Yeah. And then I talk about gratitude a lot in my podcast. Do you practice like, any forms of gratitude? Like gratitude list I, or anything?
0: Yeah. So I I try to list out the things that I'm, uh, grat- I have a lot of gratitude for before I go to bed at night. Uh-huh. Just that, um, you know, every day I'm... I'm telling myself, you know, I really have a great life. And then I also, um, I put pictures all over my apartment of my friends and family mm-hmm. as just looking at them makes me even more thankful for my life.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer in gratitude too. And I didn't actually get really into it until about like a little over a year ago. And it's really helped me just appreciate the little things in life. I feel like every day, um, you know, our brains are... Um, Condition to look for the negative and everything. I read that somewhere, and so which is kind of true. Like, I, like I dwell on like the negative, but then after um, the end of the day, I'll write down like ten things I'm grateful for that happen, and it always reminds me that there is a lot of good in every day. You just have to look for it. Um, so that's how it's helped me a little bit with the the gratitude list. But I love the idea of putting like pictures all over too. Yeah,
0: no, it just is a great visual way to remember all the wonderful things that I have in my life.
1: Yeah, and um, I'm the worst, too. I keep forgetting to, like, um, print, um, like, updated pictures from, like, you know, my Instagram account or Facebook, so I get lazy about that, so that actually motivates me to I have to do that, because all my pictures are, like, two years old all over my wall. And we all look younger, and there's no pictures we want to see. That's true. That's true. Um, so, Christina, I'd love to hear about Open Style Labs, because I did a lot of reading on that the past couple days, and I would love for you to give kind of, you know, a little bit of background on what it is and how you got involved, because I think it's so important for the listeners um, to become aware of it.
0: Wonderful. So it is a nonprofit that is very dear to my heart. So Open Style Lab was created about five years ago at MIT, and then it moved to Parsons. So basically, Open Style Lab uses a multifunctional approach of students from Fashion mm-hmm. from product design and occupational therapists to work together in teams with one person with a disability to create a wearable design for them okay. to help them throughout their lives. There is no mass brand creating adaptive clothing as of you know the last few years. Tommy Hilfiger, which uh, just started an adaptive line, mm-hmm. but. No one's really thinking about universal design, and Open Style App wants to teach the world and also the students uh, at Parsons how important universal design is. Um, if you think about Siri, Siri was created for someone with a disability mm-hmm. but now everyone uses it so we really want our students to think about when they go out into the world to their full-time jobs how can we create a product that might benefit someone with disability but then will benefit the rest of the world too so it's uh, a really wonderful organization mm-hmm. and has this class at Parsons twice a semester okay. and then we also go to a lot of events uh, to speak and then also schools to teach. Okay. Sample of uh, we're going to South by Southwest uh, next week to give a talk on uh, authenticity and social media. That's okay. what I'll be doing, and then Grace will be talking about uh, disability design. So it's a mix of research and advocacy okay. and together about people with disabilities.
1: And uh, I know you guys have been getting a lot of press too, which is awesome. Like, who has like featured you um, across the board with um, like in newspapers and on TV um, and what yeah, have you?
0: It's been, uh, we're really, we've been doing very well when it comes to press. Um, We're actually going to be in Glamour's April issue uh, featuring our design to fit in Vogue, New York Times, we've been to the White House, Fast Company. What was
1: that like when you went to the White House?
0: So, I didn't get to go, but Grace got to go. Okay. And it was quite wonderful that, um, and this was during the uh, Obama period, got it. so okay. uh, a more welcoming White House, right? Um, but they really got to focus on uh, accessibility and things like that, which I think is key, given that one-fifth of the United States identifies as having a disability, mm-hmm. which is larger than the Hispanic market And no companies are really focusing on how they can help people with disabilities. So I think as, you know, everyone learns the data of how large this population is, Mm -hmm. they'll start to invest in people with disabilities and solutions for them.
1: That's amazing. Um, And can you provide a couple of, of examples of people who have a specific disability like yourself and, you know, what sort of adaptive clothing that they've designed? And if you want to give an example for you too, that would be awesome.
0: Yeah. So I'll start off with the example for me. So how I got involved with open style lab is I was searching for a coat that I could easily put on Mm -hmm. since, you know, that was the one thing I couldn't do myself or I couldn't hack. And I was introduced to grace and I actually participated in the open style lab summer course where my team created a coat that I could slide on without the use of my arms. It's, It's like a poncho, but it also, um, uses really lightweight fabric but that's also warm okay. so that I can um, not have too much pressure on my arm. So that's how I got involved and then became a board member and really just fell in love with it. One of the other designs was there's a girl with autism and mm-hmm. she pulls at the seams of her shirt so that her mom really can't take her out anywhere. So we created an unrippable shirt and then she's an amazing artist, so we used her designs in the shirt, so wow. that you'd uh, be able to go out with her mom and not rip apart the shirt and have it ripped open. Because you know she is about fourteen years old, uh, it, it just wouldn't be okay for her to rip off her shirt in public. If we wanted to be able to give her something that was functional for her, but also fashionable.
1: Oh wow, that's amazing! Um, and I know autism is it's. Um it's a big deal right now that a lot of people are suffering from it. So I think that's really amazing. And um, are any other mainstream designers, I know you mentioned Tommy Hilfiger, are they catching word of it at all?
0: Yes. Yeah, so Tommy Hilfiger was the first mass brand mm-hmm. to be able to focus on um, creating designs with you know, small changes. So if you look at how dressing happened you know, in the 1700s, there mm-hmm. were people who were dressing you. So that's why having buttons as they are now uh, were needed. But why are we innovating against that? Why do we need buttons the way they are? Maybe let's use magnets instead that look like buttons. That's easier for people with uh, motor dysfunction in their hands. So that's something Tommy's been able to do, which is really wonderful. And I'm very proud of them for being able to create these small, you know, changes to their current design so that it fits the need of more people. Yeah.
1: I love that. That's amazing. Um, and then what sort of challenges is, um, open style lab? Do they, do they see, is it hard to keep up with the, like the changing fashion trends, um, or with the manufacturers? Like, are there any other challenges that they're experiencing?
0: Because we don't create a mass product. Okay. We don't into the competition of having to keep up with fast fashion. Got it. Okay. But a lot of the times we're creating, um, you know, more basics okay. for them so that they can use this product in their everyday life. So, for example, the code they created me was black Okay. so that I can, you know, wear it with any type of outfit. Um, so they stick to more neutrals at times uh, just so that it can be inserted into someone's wardrobe uh, right. on a daily basis.
1: Okay. And then how often do you, um, do you go to Open Style Labs? I think you mentioned you go after work at night.
0: Yeah, so um, I work on Open Style Lab every night. Mm-hmm. I go into our actual lab uh, possibly one a week, one uh, day a week, or okay. I'm at an event for Open Style Lab. Okay. So it definitely takes up a lot of my time, but it's really given me so much meaning in life. And, yeah. it, and this is something that I feel so blessed about having my disease is that the meaning that I get out of life,
1: is yeah.
0: it, it's quite wonderful.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's um, the, the podcast I was listening to last night I was telling you about with um, the successful guy was talking about, you know, what happiness means. And he was saying, you know, it doesn't mean financial success, but it really means finding something you're passionate about and, you know, living that passion every day. And I feel like you've been doing that with your disability, which is so amazing. Um, and so I loved hearing that story. But um, I think do we have time for rapid fire questions? Sure. Did I miss anything else before? I know I sent you a bunch of questions, but there's yeah, anything I missed. I
0: covered a lot of the main topics.
1: A lot of the main topics. Okay, good. Um, so usually I ask my guests, because they're usually a little bit older than us, what advice they'd give to their 30-year-old self, but since you're not 30 yet, um, I thought I'd ask you what advice you would give to a senior in college who's trying to, to decide what they want to do with their life post-college.
0: Sure. I would just Really tell them to focus on something that provides meaning and that it's not all about the highest paycheck.
1: Right. And I, um, I totally agree with that, too. Like I said, with the, the guy I listened to on the podcast last night, and I feel like a lot of people get caught up with the, the paycheck, except, especially with like social media and Instagram. So, um, so I like that advice that you give. And then when you think of the word success, who do you think of? And it can be more than one person.
0: Sure. I think of my partner at Open Style Lab, Grace. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, She
0: is a powerhouse and such an innovator of how to make the world better for people with disabilities. So Mm -hmm. I think that she can make such a large impact as such a tiny person Mm -hmm. uh, that I really think that she has had so much success in my eyes. And then, you know, I think... uh, A lot of people also look at, you know, President Obama. He has been able to run a country so successfully Mm -hmm. and then also be a loving father, a loving husband. And that seems like success to me also. Yeah.
1: Um, Christina, I think you're so successful because I think, have you also become a spokesperson for people with disabilities? I meant to ask you that earlier. Um,
0: as time goes on, um, I have. So okay. I've been trying to put my word out there more and more just because when I first became disabled, I couldn't find anyone that, you know, was the type of dis- like person I would like to be, a person with a disability, but is also out in New York and enjoying life. Yeah, it just wasn't visible in the media like that. Okay. So I thought, you know, if I want to see more people like myself, I need to be out there with you know, my message. So, the past few years, I've gotten more involved about okay. talking with my story. Right?
1: Okay. Were you at first not that involved? Like, you sort of no, held back? Not. Okay. So, I think
0: it was a mix of, you know, being scared, how people would react. And yeah. Maybe being a little bit in denial. Okay. Of that. But when I became fully paralyzed in my arms, I realized, you know, I need to get my message out there because that provides meaning in my life as it might help somebody else as they're struggling through disability or right. injury. yeah.
1: So have you done any speaking engagements or do you have anything lined up?
0: Yeah, I did uh, a speaking talk with Grace on BBC. I'll be speaking at South by, uh, I've done a few interviews here and there. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, some really great opportunities to reach a large amount of people. Yeah,
1: I love that. It's amazing. And hopefully this podcast will help at least one person. Yeah, I always think that. <laughs> um, sorry, veered off course of that with the questions. It wasn't so rapid fire. But anyhow, um, for the next question, if you could gift one book to every person you met, what book would it be? I
0: would say A Man Search for a Meeting by Victor Frankel. Okay. Uh, that really was the catalyst of me changing my focus to being happy from meaningfulness. Um, I think it's so important to have meaningfulness yeah. and in this book. It just shows like the little things that can provide people with meaning in their lives. Okay. And I did it, we did it in a context that everyone knows about, which was uh, the Holocaust.
1: Okay. I'll, um, I'll include that in a, the show notes too, so people can easily, um, can easily access it. And then um, if you could have a billboard, what would you, what would you say on it?
0: I'd probably say kind is cool. Okay. Um, I think one big thing I try to teach kids that I interact with is that being kind is very cool. It is okay. not cool to pick on people. Right. Uh, and that's you know, one thing that I think needs to be taught more.
1: Okay. And then uh, when we talked the other day too, you said that you become a more uh, compassionate person. And um, what ways have you become more compassionate? And then in any other ways that disability has changed you too?
0: Sure. So when I became disabled, I had to ask for help to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the kindness of others and even strangers, Wanting to help and care about me has yeah. made me care about people more. Okay. It, it made me see that people generally want to help. And I have less of a cynical outlook on the world because I've been given so much positivity because of my disability. So I would say that's one of the biggest things and, and blessings yeah. that I've been given from my disability is, you know, deeper compassion.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, so I think that wraps it up. And then is, is there a way people can find you or if there's someone that listening that may be disabled or has like a friend or family member that's disabled, can they reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. please do.
0: You can find me on Instagram. at okay. uh, Christina Disarmed. Okay. Put uh, on words. <laughs> uh, and you can also email me at mallet.christina at gmail.com. I, I would love to talk to You more and anyone that needs some help as I think, you know, we could have a great relationship. Yeah.
1: And then any last departing words for the listeners? Anything else that I missed that you want to say? I
0: would just say that, you know, the world makes me disabled. So Mm -hmm. let's change the world a little bit so there's less disability. Less
1: disability. I love that. All right. Well, thank you, Christina. This is so much fun. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success. Or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.